Hey there, this is Zev Bennett, and you're listening to the Isode Blocks podcast channel. And this is episode two of the series called Nefesh Chaim. And Nefesh Chaim, you can get the intro in part one, episode one. You can find out what exactly it is this book is about. It's a Kabbalah gateway book. Um, really sort of gives you a lot of the background about who Hashem is, what we mean when we say God, um, all the principles that underlie the Torah. It sort of lays all that out for us. And so this is the second part, chapter two, in the first section. And so even if you missed the first part, you can still just listen to this part and you'll get a lot out of that. But obviously doing it in a series is also super helpful. So let's just dive right in and uh, start reading. And then we can just uh, explain what's going on here. So the context so far has been talking about something called Tzalem Elohim, translated as the image of God. And that is a very poor translation. And that's really why this whole, the next this section, the next couple of sections are trying to define what exactly Tzalem Elohim means, what is the phrase both literally mean, what does Elohim mean, it's one of the names of Hashem that we use in the Torah. Um, and the question is, how do we define these things? And then we can also get a deeper idea of maybe what we mean even when we say the phrase image of God in English, and then get a little more real, a little more authentic, and then you can actually know what you are or what you have, maybe like sort of like the tools that you have. So let's just read. So he starts off, Omnam, Lavin Inyan Omro, Elokim. However, in order to actually understand the idea, Tselem Elokim, Daika, specifically the word Elokim. In other words, why does it say in the actual Torah, the phrase is, Tselem Elohim, which is only one of the many terms that describes how we experience Hashem's presence in the world. Uh, it could have said Tselem of any, of any of the other names. Hashem has at least 10 specific names uh, that we use to describe how Hashem interfaces with reality. And there's also a lot of other terms, adjectives that we try to use to describe Hashem. So why Tselem Elohim specifically? Velo Shem Acher, no other name. Ki Shem Elohim, and the reason is because the, the name Elohim, Yadua Perusho, we know what it means. Shu Moreshu Yisbarach Shemo, because it tells us that Hashem, He, Hashem, is Bala Kochos Kulam. He is the master of all forces, or the source of all forces, the director of all forces. As explained in the Tur, who is the late Rishon from about 800 years ago, uh, commentary on the Gemara compiled a lot of the writings of his own father, the Rush, and also a lot of other different um, uh, earlier commentaries on the Talmud and other uh, earlier primary sources and really kind of put them all together. So the Tur explains that the name Elohim the word Elohim really means a plurality of forces that are all kind of controlled by one source. That's what Baal Kohos Kula means. And so when we say that you are actually uh, designed, B'Tselem Elohim, what that means is that you are sort of like patterned after that in some way. You are somehow relating to or similar to or parallel to this construct of, you know, all of the forces, um, you know, that Hashem is the master of all the forces. So you're in some way also a master uh, unifier source of all these forces. So the question is, of course, how is that? And we have to also delve more into, like, well, what are those forces? What are these forces that Hashem is the master of? That which we call Hashem, the master of forces, it's not the way that Hashem is, is not, is not, not the way that, that people are that have bodies that are made out of, uh, you know, flesh and blood, because a person, if a person, when he, you know, for example, builds something, let's say, out of, uh, out of, like he builds a building out of wood, he doesn't actually create the wood from his own power. 
He just takes wood that's already existing. He then organizes the pieces of wood into a structure that is a building. After he organizes them according to his will, right? you basically input your will, your ideas, into raw materials, and you format them. Even though you then took away your strength, in other words, let's say you, after you finish building something, you then remove your will from it. Right? You're no longer trying to like keep building it. You're not thinking about it. It's built. Now you've finished it. You can move on to some other thing. And you can remove your attention from that thing which you built. Nistalik mehem, you literally leave them behind. Im binyan kayam, the building still remains even though you did that. Even though you removed yourself from the situation, it still exists. So that's how you do things. But in contrast, so we'll see that Hashem is a little different from that. Hashem himself. Just like when Hashem was organizing and formatting the layers of reality, which we're going to have to explain a little further what exactly that means when it says olamos, because olamos usually is translated as worlds. But the word olam actually means layer, and we're going to see exactly what that means in terms of the concepts and constructs of how Hashem basically manifests all of what you experience as being in creation. And uh, so that's what the word is referencing. So Hashem manifests all being, uh, what we call yesh me'ayin means um, thing from non-thing. So it's different from saying something from nothing, because nothing is something which is hard for us to really uh, articulate clearly. So I'm going to say the phrase non-thing, something or thing from, from, thing from non-thing. So you can think of it as there's intangible versus tangible, right? So it's like, try to imagine like, um, you know, your, uh, your, your, your sense of connection with another person. So like you look at another person that you have a friendship with, and so you see them and you see yourself, and there's this almost like an invisible, intangible rope that links you, that ties you together, that we call your friendship with them. So it's not something which you can actually see, it's intangible, So, but it's very real. And then we have things, which are things that are measurable and tangible inside of creation, inside of the world, inside of the world around you, like, you know, the, the, anything, all the things that are around you that are measurable, tangible things. So when Hashem manifests reality, so there's a translation process going from the intangible into the tangible. So, of course, we have to learn more about the intangible world that we're talking about here because the tangible world is pretty easy to think about since we are constantly dealing with it. The intangible space is, uh, ironically, um, both gigantic and also very little uh, discussed for kind of obvious reasons. hard to discuss something which is intangible because you can't measure it so easily, but it doesn't mean that it can't be discussed. It just means you have to sort of learn how to do it. And that's really what a lot of the these you know these things are about. And I also just stress that the reason why it's so ironic is because the vast majority of your life actually revolves around the intangible uh, world or the intangible space of things. So if you think about it, like you know your body and all its different facets are super important for you to do your do your life to live your life here. But the intangible side is like ninety five percent of that. You know all of the immeasurable things, your your subjective experiences of your emotions and of your thoughts and of your connections and of your you know self-awareness. Those are all what make your life actually what it is as opposed to just the body is almost like a mechanical suit made out of biological materials that you use to do things. So that's what we're talking about here. That is uh, how Hashem sort of does things, thing from non-thing. Hashem has this, what's called like a, almost like a limitless uh, ability to manifest that. So that's a, also we have to understand a little more about how Hashem works to get why his abilities and why his power is so broad in that sense. Cain me'az, kol yom so the way that it was from at the beginning and every instant after that, uh, at all times, like literally, kol koch metziyusam 
So all of the existence of whatever things Hashem is manifesting into being, they're super dependent on Hashem's consistently continuing to uh, power them, you know, or, 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 or basically manifest them. So that's how Hashem makes stuff happen, makes things exist. He has to keep keep powering them with, we'll call it like new power, you know, just like when you plug in uh, an appliance into the wall and you turn it on, so it's constantly being powered with new electricity. It's not like, oh, well, we plug in and now it's full of electricity and now it can just run. That's actually what a battery would be. Here we're talking about a situation in which you just, you know, you keep on sucking in more electricity and constantly powering it more and more. That's how Hashem does things. He just keeps powering all being constantly. And so if, he, if Hashem would at any point remove the power of his, you know, flow of, 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 of light or of energy, whatever you want to call that, which we're going to have to delve into that also, even if it would be only for one instant, everything would just revert to non-existence. And so that's a pretty big difference between you and Hashem in the sense that when you decide you want to effect change and power things in the world, you can do that. You can reformat reality according to your will and actually organize differently and create uh, and modify reality. But what Hashem is doing is a little bit more uh, fundamental than that because Hashem is kind of like the root um, energizer of everything, which means that not only is Hashem able to format things and move them around and adjust their positioning the way that we can, but Hashem actually powers things from the their, from their very core. So if we understand that the way the universe essentially operates, the physical universe is that it is a it is a building up from some kind of immeasurable, intangible reality into a very physically tangible existence that we experience and perceive. So the roots of that intangible side are that, that's that's what Hashem basically is uh, is sourcing and is and is powering. So um, we're going to have to, obviously, I keep saying this, but a lot of these ideas we're going to have to keep developing as we go. So if you're wondering what some of those things mean, I am not in any way glossing over them and, and leaving them unturned. I'm just kind of waiting for the book itself to get to the point of explaining some of them. So otherwise, we would get into a situation where I'm just explaining ideas where we're not actually uh, experiencing the book itself. So if you want to hear some more about some of these things, there are some crash course uh, information videos on my YouTube channel, also called Yesod Blocks. Okay, so going on. So just like the Anshay Knesset Sagadola, these are people who were um, part of a big group that were kind of running Israel um, after the period of the Nevi'im, um, known as the prophets. So there actually were even some, uh, some Nevi'im, some prophets who were part of this group. So it's really right at the very end of that time period. So they, Yasdu means they like they um, founded or, or you know set down a structure of what to say, which uh, what what we're referring to here is what we say every day. If you use the sidur as a tool to create the experience and process of tefillah, so in this in this sidur you'll have this uh, sidur is basically an organization of different writings that you can use verbally to actually create the tefillah alignment experience that we're supposed to be you know, you doing every day, at least uh, two or three times a day. So what's going on there is that there's um, there's a bunch of different things that were written by these Anshek Nestagdola about you know, 2,000 plus years ago. And one of the phrases that's written there is, which is that Hashem is constantly renewing uh, every day, the act of Bereshit, of creation. Hainu tamid, mamash. And he says, he says, when it says, Bechol yom tamid, in the phrase, every day, all the time. So it means literally all the time. Kol every instant. 
Urayasa Mefereshes Kamur, and the proof to that is, as it says, Lose Orim that Hashem is Ose Orim Dolim, He constantly is making uh, great energy sources, great lights, great power sources. Shalomar Asa, it doesn't say Asa in the past tense, Ela Ose, it says it in the present tense, that Hashem is in the constant state, um, in the, at the present of actually creating these things all the time. It's in an ongoing creating process as opposed to, um, you know, Hashem just sort of created it in the past and just left it running, uh, which could be like, you know, the clockmaker's theory of, of God, which is a very primitive theory. And uh, here we're describing really the the opposite of that. Okay, so that's basically, so far what we just saw was what, what uh, Rav Chaim Vlezhner is explaining here is that talk about Hashem as being Elohim, and um, that's the, the master of all forces, and it describes the distinction between us and Hashem in terms of the, the creativity of our, force, of our force control, is that we have the ability to create change and modifications in the physical measurable world, but Hashem has both that ability and also the ability to actually initiate the manifestation and existence of things in the physical world, uh, building them all the way up from, um, like scaling them up all the way from the intangible, uh, fundamental and primary ingredients uh, of reality. So just to sort of give an analogy for that, which is going to be kind of helpful in the next section. So if you know anything about physics, so um, the way that physics kind of underpins all of the other sciences is that physics describes the four fundamental forces that underlie all of physical reality. So for example, one of those is gravity. And then another one is something called electromagnetism, which everyone seems like they're pretty familiar with if you've ever had electricity, um, because electricity essentially is that there is this these things called charge, and um, you know different kinds of particles can actually like which is basically the smallest building blocks of atoms and electrons and you know all these little things that everything is made out of. So they have different charges, different electrical charges. And those different charges, if you have a positive charge versus a negative charge, then those two types of things are actually attracted to each other. And that's another force that's called, again, electromagnetism. And then we also have something called the nuclear strong force and the nuclear weak force. These are two other forces that also uh, essentially relate to um, the atomic scale of things and how atoms essentially dance with each other. Now, what's interesting about those four forces is that they all have to do with attraction and, and repulsion, because if you have two things that are the same charge, if you have two negatively charged particles, they actually repel each other. Um, and so we talk about these things as if we understand them, because we're like, yeah, there's positive charge, negative charge, there's poles, you have gravitational poles, you have, you know, you have, you have ma- magnetic poles, you have all these kinds of concepts in, in physics and in science. And the funny thing is that we actually have no understanding of what these things are. We understand what they do somewhat. In other words, we can measure what they do and we can predict what they're going to do. But we have no idea why this is the way things are. We don't know why things fall in gravity. We don't know why charged particles uh, move towards each other when they have opposite charges. We don't even know what charge actually is. We just measure what it does. We don't know what that what the actual thing is. So all these different forces, uh, what's funny is that those forces are actually what give uh, different kinds of particles their properties. And these forces are invisible. You can't see gravity, you can't see electromagnetism, you can't see nuclear strong force or nuclear weak force. All you know is that these things magically, invisibly cause things to either get pulled towards each other or pushed away from each other. And when that happens, so that actually causes tiny particles to sometimes clump together in specific kinds of ways. And then they clump into ever bigger structures and they eventually turn into molecules. And then those molecules turn into 
things, you know, bodies and, and gold and silver and other metals and all kinds of different, you know, substances. And that eventually leads to human bodies and brains. And, and what's even funny is that our, our whole body functions using the electrical force also. And these are all the things that essentially, you know, uh, what we experience on the macro level as life and as the world are really just a conglomeration of these forces dancing with each other and manifesting uh, through, all, through and within all these different particles as they interact. And so that's a, a crazy thing because you really are seeing sort of like the intangible four forces giving rise to this, this very tangible universe that we're experiencing. So that's all relevant as a background analogy. I hope that was relatively clear. If you had a hard time with that, I definitely encourage you to listen to it again. You can also Google those forces a little bit and learn about them. Uh, that could give you a little bit stronger background, but this is just very, very useful information in terms of understanding both uh, Kabbalah concepts and um, understanding things about the universe in terms of how you are actually structured, which can give you a much more truth-oriented perspective and, and clarity on how the world sort of works, which has a lot, a lot of utility and also a great way to learn how to think. Okay, so that's an important analogy as, an, as a foundation to set up for the next part. So here we have sort of like a, a, an inserted note where Rav Chaim Vlezhner is going to sort of just explain a comment on his own writing. It's called the Haggah. And he writes, Even though you, can't actually, you cannot actually see the refresh of creation. In other words, when we say that Hashem constantly is creating reality again and again and again every instant, so you never see it actually being refreshed. You know, if you saw it that way, then there would be like a lot of flickering going on where there would be like, a, you know, an ongoing, uh, like the world would sort of turn on again. It's almost like when you watch an animation, you know, frame by frame. So you see each frame in the new version of it. It's a slightly different as it's kind of, you know, you're moving through the frames. So, you know, when you see a cartoon like that, uh, so that, that's, that's how it would be with this. Or if you have like a strobe light, you know, that's when you see, uh, you can see things, it looks like, like life is, is very um, sort of like jittery and, and, and um, very choppy. So you don't have that happen here. There is no visible break between uh, moments of creation to our eyes. Now, that's interesting just because that's actually more about the rate of how our brains and our eyes process information. Because it could be that if you moved or thought or perceived reality at a different rate, maybe you'd actually be able to see the space between moments and sort of tap into the ways that, you know, the, the in-between pieces between when Hashem uh, creates each moment anew, just that you have a certain way of seeing that maybe you don't, you're not able to perceive that. Okay, just a side point there. Omnam ha'arbe yisod and ilah, and there are four uh, fundamental, um, you know, like uh, roots, four fundamental ingredients, uh, foundations, the inon hasharash and kadman. These are like the original, the original roots, the the prime, the primary, primordial roots of all being. Vehavhandekula and the father, the parent of all of them. Kaniz Karba Zohar is explained as it is, as it explained in the Zohar, Parshas Vayera. Shem Shoresh Komas Eberishes Uprimis Kulam. And sorry, the Vehavhandekula means they are the father of all. Um, they are the they are the the initiation of all being, as explained in the Zohar. Shem Shoresh Komas Eberishes Uprimis Kulam. They are the roots of all of the creation, and they are the in they are the uh, the internal truth of everything. And so that's, you know, if you just think of the four forces you mentioned earlier, that can give you some kind of insight into what that would look like, what that means, because that's exactly what we see with the four forces in physics. Those are also symbolized with the four letters of the name of Hashem, Hashem's primary name that describes Hashem's on the, the consciousness, essence, self level, is the name that has four letters, Yud and He and Vav and He. So here he spells it Havaya, which literally means existence, because that way he can write it that way without it being a problem. We're not allowed to write that name, Yud and He and Vav and He. We also don't pronounce it. Um, and so here he's spelling it out, and he's saying the four letters of that name, actually each letter uh, kind of like references a different one of the four forces. 
Vehismasgusam, the sort of like the way that we Veharkavasam, uh, the way we sort of uh, modulate them with each other, put them together and in and, and, and different amounts. So Hashem kind of does that. When He wants to sort of create things in reality, He modulates the the amount of those each of those different forces for every single thing he wants to create, there's a different organization of the ingredients. Kolis Varega and he's constantly adjusting that every instant. Bishor Sharashim at the very root of all being. Ainu Musad Klava, that whole thing, you don't you don't experience that, you don't perceive that. And he himself, he's constantly uh, renewing them in different formats uh, according to his will, according to his calculations, at all times. So you're starting to get sort of like a picture of what the background is of the physics of, uh, and, and metaphysics of reality here. And so, uh, again, this is really just sort of like the, the Nef Shachayim is just giving you uh, some introductory information here still. But, you know, it's going to be pretty deep information, so you definitely uh, you could think about it. But I would also recommend you put a lot of this stuff into your basket of storage of thoughts and ideas and just think about them in the background. And then as we get more and more information, you're going to start seeing how all the different pieces that you're picking up on are going to start fitting together and really creating a wild perspective of clarity. Okay, this idea that we Hashem constantly adjust them at every instant. These are like the, it's the 900, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 1,080 different uh, combinations and permutations of Hashem's name. This is a very uh, relatively widely used concept. There's a particular uh, number of combinations and ways that Hashem's name kind of interacts with itself. So we're not going to delve into this too much right now. But that's basically the same idea that he's saying, that Hashem uses those four forces and the four letters that symbolize them to sort of uh, manifest all being. According to the different, um, like kind of like the different aspects of them that within the, the 1,080 um, uh, moments that are within every Sha'a. So we'll translate that for now just as hour, and you should just know that there is a very uh, mainstream Kabbalah concept that there are 1,080 moments in an hour. And an hour here doesn't mean an hour of 60 seconds. It means like a unit of time. And every, and every, every, all, every time period, they're always adjusting and updating and changing in different formats. And also the, the structure of the day periods is different from that of the night. There is no day that is similar to the next day. And the previous day, that's what it says, it makes it new. Uh, daika, meaning like he's constantly making it new in every way. It's not just new that it's like it's he's powering it and it's the same. It's that it's literally the combinations of and and or, and, and, and modulations and structures of all being are constantly changing. So Hashem is constantly updating things. So that's basically you know him sort of finishing that point. And again, you have to remember here that all this is going to have a lot of utility. Uh, right now, you might just feel like I'm just learning about how Hashem does things, but if you want to understand who Hashem is, and you want to understand who you are, because you work exactly the same way as this, your, the way that you do things is patterned after this. So all these teachings are also going to give you a, a tremendous amount of insight into you. Not just also, the, the purpose of these teachings is to give you insight into, into yourself and your relationship with all being. Okay. And that's why Hashem is called Elohim, Ba'alakochos Kulam, and the master of all forces. Because every um, every individual force that's found in every, in whatever layer of reality that you're in, 
Habal Koch Shalem. So each of those, he, Hashem, is the master of that particular force. He constantly is fueling those forces. And he has the power to constantly adjust them and change them, like we already said. Even though the word Elohim is actually not only used to reference Hashem, so now here he's bothered. He's like, well, the name, the word Elohim is, is used in the Torah for other things. You have Elohim Acherim, which means like other Elohims, uh, often translated poorly as other gods. And you also have places where man is called Elohim. Um, so th- these are things that show up in, in Parshish Mishpatim in the Torah. For example, judges are called Elohim. V'nikrav ba'ala ba'is el ha'elohim. That, you know, you have a person who's in a, in a conflict with another person and he has to go to the judge uh, to sort of rule on the case. So that's called an Elohim also. So why do we see that? So he's, he's going to try to explain that now. V'chol sari ma'la u'mata nikram Elohim. And all the different, um, they're sort of like, uh, there's a concept in Kabbalah that every person and every group of people and every culture has like a particular, what's called a sar, like a like a, an officer, like a high-level um, malach, which usually is translated as angel, but does not really, the word angel does not really do justice. We'll have to speak about malachim a little more clearly in a different context in the book, but that every, every um, like sort of every, everything which exists in the world sort of has these, these overseers that Hashem sort of uses to manifest His will. And so those are often called Elohim also. And so the question here that he's dealing with is, well, why would we call those things Elohim if the name Elohim, the name Elohim is supposed to reference Hashem and Hashem as the master of all forces? So he says, he gives other examples also, Elohei Ha'amim, which means like the various Malachim that actually uh, supervise and monitor all other groups of people. Kikol Ha'amim Yelchu Ish B'Shem Elohav, also the same idea. Vayen Zohar. This is look at the Zohar. Vayavo Elokim Dichtiv Avimelch VeLavan Ubilam. So there you see that it, keep, it always talks about by Avimelch and Lavan and Bilam. These are different characters in the Chumash. So you see the Torah talks about how um, this this Elokim was coming to them, and then the explanation of that was Perush. The explanation was Hasar Shalo, kind of like his his angel overseer. Because those overseers are sort of set down to help sort of um, guide. These people, so that's why though they ha- their Elo- their Elohim came to them. Elohim also, and also the judges uh, in courts, like we already mentioned earlier, they're also called Elohim. So that's also a quote from the Zohar. Um, so just sort of saying that, that the name for one is also the name for all these other ones as well. The name Elohim applies to multiple entities. But the difference is that all of those Elohim's. So they, all their power that they may have, and we have to understand each of those different malachim and what that is exactly, but their power is not their own power. It doesn't really come from them. Just they, their power is rooted in Hashem. In other words, Hashem, again, is the, is the master of all the forces. So even if there are sub-forces, so those sub-forces are ultimately deriving their power from Hashem. So, it, you know, there's no thing that really operates outside of Hashem, which is just to contrast that, it's very different from concepts that we have in Christianity, where, you know, you see that there's almost like there's, there's God and there's like the, the nemesis, which is the devil, which seems to have, you know, like the, the, the Satan, whatever you want to call that, Satan. Like these are concepts that are essentially conveying the idea of something which is actually outside of God. And these two sides are at war and God is fighting the side of good, perhaps, and the, the Satan is 
fighting the side of evil, and we don't have any of those concepts. We actually have all forces are actually rooted in the same source, even if they are actually an independent power. And in fact, so are we. Even if you are an Elohim, even if you are a judge, your power is still rooted in a higher power, and even the most powerful judge in the world, so his, he's still, uh, his heart does not beat on its own. It's uh, it, his, all his, you know, his body and his mind and all his ideas and his, and his clarity, so he is powered fundamentally by Hashem. That is not to say that he doesn't take any of the credit for his accomplishments. And we're going to have to discuss how those things interface with each other too, your ability to actually uh, create your own life while Hashem is also powering you simultaneously. But still, the point here is that all of the power of these uh, beings uh, evolves and emanates from Hashem. So that's why it says, That's why Hashem himself is called the, the Elohim of all Elohims. Like it's also written, Hashem is greater than all other Elohims. So you see that the Torah uses those types of terms. All Elohim should bow to Hashem. And even those who are Oved Ovdei Kochavim means those who latch on to other forces in the world and try to make those their center, which is what we call, you know, uh, unfortunately, very tragically, it's called nowadays something like idol worship. So idol worship is sort of like usually thought of as people bowing down to statues or something. That's actually, that was not really what, um, what, what was really going on when this was a real thing. Uh, people used to be very, very spiritually sensitive. You actually could sense um, the super consciousness manifest through anything. And just like you can sort of sense it somewhat a little bit in a dull way now through a person, when you look into a person's eyes and you experience them through that, that's their neshama that you're seeing. You're not seeing their eyeballs. You also used to have the ability to see much more deeply than you do now and actually see uh, the radiance and light of Hashem's consciousness shining out of everything. And this is even, uh, you know, after the Garden of Eden story happened, we still had the ability to see consciousness much at a much higher state than we do now. So at a certain point that ended around the same time that people stopped having what we call prophecy or nevuah. So also that's when people stopped actually sensing Hashem consciousness inside of objects and things. But the point is that that's uh, even even somebody who had that kind of sensitivity and was aware of these types of you know sort of like um, aspects of Hashem's forces in the world, like Malachim and Sarim. So, but those but you know those types of people, even if they attached themselves to those kinds of powers, they still knew and still called the they called Hashem the Elahad Elahin, which means the the master of all the powers, like meaning the power of the powers, like sort of like the one who powers all power all the, all other powers. So what that basically comes down to is that other Elohims are simply subcategories and almost like byproducts of Hashem. That's why they're called other Elohims. Their power doesn't come from themselves. Their power comes from that which is above them. And that which is above them also draws power from that which is above it. So there's, you know, now he's describing sort of like a layering of the system where you have, let's say, a malach who is in charge of, I don't know, a particular blade of grass to reference what it says in the Talmud. And then that malach, he, so he has the power to grow that blade of grass and power it and, and sustain it. So where does he get his power from? So he gets his power from a malach that's above him. But that malach also gets his power from a malach that's above him. And there's a chain of power being transmitted through layers all the way up to Hashem. And you can think of the, the, that chain of malachim all the way to Hashem 
I shouldn't say the word up, but that's just an analogy. It's not literally up, but you could just think of it as a chain of malachim, and it's almost like an electrical wire that's just made up of many, many, many uh, you know atoms that are that are metal atoms that are good for conducting electricity and having loose electrons. And so you have like all these malachim in a chain all the way up to Hashem. Uh, again, not literally, and then uh, that's what allows the transmission of Hashem's will all the way into the manifestation of this blade of grass. But none of those malachim, even though they are sort of like fragments of Hashem's consciousness, none of them actually have their own power independently of Hashem. That's why we have this, this statement in, in, in the book of Yirmiya, that Hashem, um, is, Hashem as Elohim is emet. That Hashem is, uh, when Hashem is the Elohim, when we think of Hashem as the, as the Elohim, that's the, that's the reality. He's the real master of the forces, shel kulam, of all these different things. Shekulam mekabelim kocham imenu yisbar shemo, they all receive their power from Hashem. As uh, a like it says, vayipluah p'neim v'emru Hashem hu Elohim, that Hashem is the Elohim ultimately. So when you see other forces in the world and you latch on to them, so they actually have real power. Whether And by the way, this is also true even if we're not talking about um, like divine forces, whatever those are, which we have to learn more about them too, obviously, that's what we're going to be doing. But even if you decide to uh, latch on to your boss or your job as a particular force in your life that's going to give you power, you want to sort of you know get your sense of self-worth from your job or from your community or from the size of your house or from how, how beautiful your spouse is or all kinds of things like that, those are also uh, sort of like versions and, and subversions of you latching on to uh, other Elohims um, because those are just, you know, those are powers in the world and you are sort of saying like, well, this is, this has power, right? Because let's say you have a beautiful house. So that actually does have power because in the social scale, um, you can now sort of get other people to be jealous of you and look up to you and think that you're someone more special and then you can attract people to you in that way and maybe and, and perhaps the kinds of people you'd attract are not the people you really would want to spend time with anyway, but you might feel in the short term that it's more fun to get that kind of attention. That is a kind of power. And so now your house is a, a source of power for you in your in your sense of self. And so when you do that and you try to get your sense of self-worth from things like that are outside of Hashem in that way, what it leads to is you start to, you start to feel existential anxiety. Like, well, I feel good about myself because of these types of things, but what if these things disappear? Or change, and then I will not have this power anymore, and then my life will be so different. I'm very afraid of that. The one thing which you can put your 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 real source of power in that never changes is actually Hashem. Now we have to learn about who Hashem is to make sure that works well, and that's the only way to actually stop putting your your power and your your loyalty in in sources of power that are transient is to learn about who Hashem is, so you can actually let go of some of these other artificial sources of power. But, of course, you have to first learn that. So, but in the meantime, the thing to realize here is that, um, you know, all of these external powers are ultimately rooted in Hashem. Your beautiful house, your beautiful spouse, your, the amount of money that you have, the type of job that you have, the type of body that you have, you know, everything that you have, they're all coming from Hashem. They're all rooted in Hashem. So when you attach yourself to them in a very intense way to get your self-worth from them, that is when things start to get very, very sticky. Okay, so hope that was relatively clear. That is Parak Bey's chapter two in the first section, Shar Aleph. And I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next uh, piece in the podcast, episode three.